We came up with the name, The Chronic, which was the name on the streets for Orange Bud, because it was just so bomb. It was indica, see? And it was something that nobody else had but California. So uh, Snoop said, you need to name your album The Chronic, because it's the bomb. Welcome to episode 300. Guys, I promise we will not take off our shirts like King Leonidas and show our eight-pack abs, but maybe on the Patreon. We'll probably do that on the Patreon. Some hairy nipple action, yeah. There you go, boy. Uh, but anyways, I'm your host, in the place to be, Mr. Jacob P., and sitting right across from me is the brown recluse, Mr. Artro. Art, say hello to the millions. And millions. What the fuck is going on, America? Guys, go to kmancoffee.com. Check out their entire inventory. They got the coffee beans. They got the hibiscus tea. They got the cacao butter. They got it all. And if you use promo code America to receive 50, you will receive 15% off. Um, I like I the confidence on that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was just thinking, I I, I know there's like a sale going on right now, but I, I don't know what it, what it was. I said it last week and I was like... Oh, I can't remember. But guys, go to kmancoffee.com. They for sure got the hub biscuit seed. They got the cold, the nitro cold brew. They got anything. If you're drinking shit kicker coffee or you're drinking that Folgers instant mix, dude, do yourself a favor and just go to kmancoffee.com. Level up. Yeah, level up. Get your get your shit together. Um, use promo code America to receive 50% off. Because in this economy, dude, you need all the help you can get. <laughs> uh, tell them your boys aren't Jacob sent you. Tag us. Tag them in a post. Uh, we appreciate it. They appreciate it. And speaking of sponsors, guys, make sure you check out our other sponsor, guys. I'm talking about the great, the powerful Nicole Smith Bosch. Uh, I need everyone to head on over to SuperApparel.com where Nicole Smith Bosch has put together an illustrious array of merchandise for your consumption pleasure. So check everything out. Uh, Valentine's Day is around the corner. I believe by the time we uh, release this episode, uh, we'll probably be within a week's shot of Valentine's Day. So buy, yeah. buy the person that you love, want, or desire some Sucre apparel. She's got uh, a lot of great stuff that would serve well as a Valentine's Day yeah. gift. But uh, before you hit checkout, guys, I need everyone to enter promo code Art and Jacob and the great and powerful Nicole will give you 10% off your entire purchase. But guys, 
We're not here to talk about Valentine's Day or promo codes that Caveman Coffee may or may not have. Art, what are we here to talk about on episode 300? We're here to talk about these nuts. <laughs> Guys, we're here to talk about Dr. Dre's The Chronic, one of the pivotal hip-hop albums of all time. I believe that, uh, I think it was like episode 152, we did our countdown of favorite albums mm-hmm. or something like that. This is one of the few albums that we both overlapped on. Mm-hmm. We had a different rankings, but it was definitely in our top 20 favorite albums of all time. Um, and it's uh, it was uh, overdue. We haven't covered an album in a while. Correct. I think White Pony was the last one, I think. Or Slipknot, maybe? Oh, we did Slipknot. I can't even remember. But uh, it's been a while since we've done a, a classic album review. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't get no more classic than this one, guys. Yeah, this one, this one's one that we've probably referenced this album more than like any other album, you know, besides maybe Purple Rain. Yeah. But everything else gets uh, gets referenced pretty heavily. Yeah. Um, it's one of those albums, I think, on episode one makes an appearance. And uh, when we were coming together like butt cheeks to try to come up with something special for episode 300, uh, we threw around a couple ideas. There was an actual another album that we were going to do as well. It'll probably come together in the coming weeks. Uh, like butt cheeks as well. As well. <laughs> uh, but uh, Hart was saying, like, just in case we're not able to get that one done this week, which we weren't able to, uh, what's another topic you want to do? And I think you mentioned, like, you know, spontaneous human combustion. And I was like, oh, yeah. that's cool. But it just doesn't have, like, that, like, clean Yeah, not to be – once you once you pointed out that this was episode 300, I was like, yeah, spontaneous human combustion is one of those topics that I was like – I just threw that out there because I was like, that's about like 30 minutes of research. <laughs> and it was like, oh, fuck. Okay, it is episode 300. Maybe we should hit him with something harder than mm-hmm. spontaneous human combustion. So I was like, you know what? I think it's about, it, it's per, it's perfect timing for the chronic, baby. So um, you like to start every episode with a question. I'm going to pose a question to you. When was the first time that you heard the chronic? Damn. Um, I cannot remember the specific first time I heard it. I, I, you know, as a youth, I grew up in the in the hood. I grew up in uh, in East Bakersfield, and I remember um, we didn't have cable, but we had uh, the that, box. The box, and they used to play Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg videos on there pretty often. And I remember thinking, like, damn, like this is the fucking shit. Like, this is the coolest thing. And it was one of the few, like, CDs that we owned, and, like, we would play it nonstop. Like, The Chronic was one, you know, one of, like, seven CDs that me and my sisters owned, and we would, like, fight over which one we would play. (laughs) And it was just always on. I felt like it was just there from my youth, dude. Like, Mm -hmm. it was just always playing, like, you know, (laughs) next to The Doors, surprisingly. Like, we would listen to The Doors or Dr. Dre. And, like... um, it it was just always there. It was like to me, like it embodies, you know, the early nineties, two thousand four ish era, or whatever. Like it was like maybe we should do a deep dive on that album because a lot of like pivotal albums and a lot of crazy things were happening in music in, in that year. But it was like it, it was it ninety four when it came out. It came out in ninety two? Yeah, December seventeenth. Well, t- to me it was like, you know, I probably was too young at that so probably I was about two years late. Because I think Doggy Style was already out by the time Correct, I yeah. got I got really into this album. Um, but that to me, that's around when I first started listening to it. it was around like probably ninety three, ninety 
94-ish. Which makes sense because there was three videos that came out for, I mean, there's technically like five or six, but three like hard singles. So first, Nothing But A G Thing, Dre Day, and then Let Me Ride. And they were all kind of spaced out like a little bit, like November of 92, that's when Nothing But A G Thing came out. Dre Day came out like May of 93, so they're like almost like six, seven months in between. And then uh, September of 93, so Doggy Style is already out, but you're still having music videos and singles come out for this album. Uh, And it it felt like, because I remember hearing this album for the first time kind of around the time that it came out. I have cousins that are from L.A., and you know they were older and were, had money and were able to buy things like compact disc, which was still like a new technology at the time. Yeah, yeah. So I remember like it got left at my grandma's house, and I, I just remember just like coming upon it because their move was they would visit my grandma for Thanksgiving, and then we would visit my grandma for uh, Christmas. So it was laying around like the coffee table, like the little drawer in the coffee table or whatnot. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. Like this must be Joel's. And so I remember like, oh yeah, I remember seeing like a video for like, you know, 187 and all that stuff. And I was like, oh man, like I really want to, I want to hear like nothing but a G thing like over and over again. Cause it had just came out as well. And it was from that era too, like where MTV, they would play nothing but a G thing, but it would always be like at least like maybe like once or twice a day. And it always be like later on in the day. So mm-hmm. it would be like <laughs> maybe once like past my bedtime and maybe once right before my bedtime or whatever. So you maybe got to hear it once a day. The radio would play it, you know, a couple of times or whatever. But I'm like six or seven years old. So I don't really have <laughs> the authority yeah, yeah. to be able to control the radio. So it was a treat to be able to hear it at least once a day or whatever, right? So getting the CD or actually stealing the CD, which is that CD right here, the original from December of 1992 or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So hearing that, like I thought I was doing something naughty because for one, the CD has a fucking weed leaf on it right here. Which I didn't know what that was when I was a kid, dude. Yeah, I thought it was a Canadian maple leaf. Yeah, I figured it was some something crazy, like something like I figured it was something, but I was like, "Mm, doesn't mean anything to me. It wasn't until like around like third grade or fourth grade that I realized that was a weed leaf and we would all draw it. Like we would always draw weed leaves when we were when, when we were like in like fourth grade we'd be like who can draw the best weed leaf even though like i'd never seen a weed mm-hmm. leaf in real life at that point <laughs> i was like i can draw this is actually what weed really looks like guys mm-hmm. and it was like i have no idea what it looks like yeah so anyway so this cd is actually like my cousin so i don't know i mean it came out it says it says december of uh 15th of 1992 so i don't know maybe they stayed a couple of weeks at my grandma's i don't know how that worked out but i know it is definitely was my cousin's Mm-hmm. And it got left there, and I took it back home. <laughs> and I just remember just listening to that CD over and over and over again with my little bullshit ass fucking you know Ninja Turtle headphones and shit. Yeah, and just like, and even to this day, like when we suggested this topic last Sunday, like there's still little nuances and sounds that keep popping up. Like, oh wow, I didn't realize there was this sample in that song. Like even songs like High Powered. Like you hear like the high pitch, you know, squeal of the uh, the Moog synthesizer, and then mm-hmm. like the big bass. But there's all sorts of shit in between going on in the middle, like samples and like original instrumentation. That I'm at 37 years old, I am just hearing. So fast forward 30 years, 30 years of listening to this album, I'm still finding new shit to listen to. Well, I mean, let's get into the era really quickly. So the things that were happening before this. 
you know, even Dr. Dre was already involved in music. NWA, he was already mm-hmm. part of. But even NWA, you know, a lot of the contemporaries to NWA, gangster rap was already a, a movement that was happening. You know, Ice Cube was pretty much doing his own thing at this point. Mm-hmm. But music really sounded pretty dated at this point like if you listen to like nwa and the contemporaries to nwa the music sounds pretty dated yeah like samples layered on top of samples yeah like there's nothing too you know i don't want to say original but like it sounds what like white people think hip-hop sounds like (laughs) like like it's like there's like dj scratches like what like it's a lot of like really whack stuff like things that just didn't age well Mm. Fast forward to this album coming out. Actually, let's fast forward to... The the second NWA album. Okay. Yeah, so the second NWA album comes out. I'm not going to say the real name of it. I'm just going to say it backwards. Eiffel for Zagan. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't put that in reverse. That's actually pretty good for a backwards sound. I've been practicing for 35 years or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? So anyways... This is where like the G funk sound kind of gets like started, uh-huh. is because you were right. You know, uh, Dr. Dre was the house producer for NWA, so he did all of NWA's work. He did the DOC's first album, Michelle A, and there was a band or a group on Ruthless called Above the Law. Mm-hmm. He helped co-produce and kind of taught Cold One Eighty Seven kind of how to be a producer as well. And then there's uh, Living Like Hustlers is the CD where they kind of come together like butt cheeks mm-hmm. and create like this very new and funky sound. Now, some people say Cold 187 came up with G-Funk and others, and I'm in this camp, Dre kind of like pushed it because it has Dre's fingerprints all over it. But it's on that CD, Living Like Hustlers, where, you know, the G-Funk sound, you, you hear like little inklings of what would become the chronic. Fast forward to NWA's second album, Eiffel for Zagan. it's basically the first version of the chronic because it is straight up g-funk you got songs like always into something where it has like that blueprint where you got that fat bass line on the low end and on the high end you have like that high pitch you know um moog synthesizer sound that high Mm -hmm. pitch synth or whatever right and then Fast forward just a little bit more because I'm sure we'll do a whole episode about NWA and the rise and fall of Ruthless Records and the whole East Coast, West Coast battle, whatever. Ice Cube leaves NWA over money issues. And then later on, Dr. Dre also leaves Ruthless Records and NWA because of money issues as well. So I don't know if you want to jump into that. So, yeah, I mean, although that was the first like trickling of, you know, what was to come, I think, and I mentioned this to you before. When that deep cover soundtrack was about to come out, which came out prior to this, although there were already th- this album was already in the works, like it was already coming, like that that mm-hmm. that fucking nuke was about to drop. But and like I was telling you, like on the Patreon and in like text message chains, the Chronic was actually supposed to be the DOC's second album. Yeah, that no nobody can do it better, which is considered a classic as well. Also produced by Dr. Dre, this was supposed to be the DOC's follow up album. Yeah, so I mean there were there were a lot of like little things that were that were happening around this time. One, Dr. Dre was already kind of pivoting into the uh the death row scene with with Shook Knight and all those guys attending death row parties. In that death row party scene, uh, I think it was the DOC who was like, "Hey, check out this mixtape that I, that I found." It was either the DOC, it was Daz, sorry, Daz. No, it was Warren G. Warren G. Yeah, so the story is is that, you know, okay, let's go back a little bit. Um, 
Dr. Dre leaves uh, Ruthless Records, but he's contractually bound to Easy E. He meets Suge Knight, who was uh, the former bodyguard of Bobby Brown, who wanted to start a record label, mm-hmm. but didn't know like the ins and outs of it. Also from Compton, knows Dr. Dre, says, hey, I can get you out of your contract. Just let me and my boys handle it or whatever, right? So goes up to Easy, shakes him down, says, hey, either you're going to let Dr. Dre out of his contract or I'm going to hold you over a balcony just like I did Vanilla Ice. Yeah. <laughs> so they get out of the contract or whatever, right? So Dr. Dre is partying. There's always these... During this era, like Dr. Dre, there's always parties or whatever, right? And I've heard six different stories about how, like what you were talking about came about. But all we know is it was a Dr. Dre party. It might have been an old NWA party. It might have been a death row party. It might have been whatever kind of party. There was just a party always every day. Party was happening for sure. With Dr. Dre at his house. Now, Dr. Dre has a stepbrother who lived in Long Beach named Warren G., Warren G grows up with Snoop Dogg, Nate Dogg, and they have their own little group, you know, in high school called 213. Warren G being, you know, also a producer and DJ would always throw mixtapes at his older brother who was successful in NWA and all sorts of other adventures or whatever. And Dr. J would be like, ah, that's whatever or whatever. Right. And so they say it was a bachelor party. The music had stopped and uh, Warren G grabs one of the mixtapes for 213 puts it in and immediately Dr. Dre hears this silky smooth voice and it is no none other than Snoop Dogg. Yeah, and that's it. That was pretty much magic right there. Dr. Dre tells Snoop Dogg, hey, you got to come down. I want to hear you. And he brings Nate Dogg with him, which I thought was like, it, it seems Ballsy. like it, it seems like a very like, you know, throwaway note, but Nate Dogg is pretty instrumental to this as well. Like his like really deep, voice like it's a mm-hmm. very like you don't hear anyone sound like him like the minute you hear nate dog you know it's nate dog oh yeah and uh, he makes a bigger appearance i think in 2001 the chronic 2001 than he does on this chronic mm-hmm. but he is pretty fundamental to to the g-funk sound that's about to like happen oh yeah um so there you go you have snoop dog <clears throat> you have dr dre they've met each other peanut butter and jelly have come together and right off the bat He's like, hey, I want you on this song. It's for a movie soundtrack. It's called Deep Cover. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, you want me to rap about something, a movie that we don't even know what it's about? And he's just like, well, I guess it's about an undercover cop who like like gets a dude in trouble. And Snoop Dogg's like, dude, that's what happened to me. I got fucking like set up by an undercover cop. I got you. And they come up with the lines right away. It's like still one of the most like iconic like song like that song still slaps to this day more so than like a lot of stuff that was happening around that time period oh definitely like for the first time it was like rap music that didn't sound dated it didn't sound Mm. with like that will smith like vibe that was going on (laughs) around the time period it actually sounded like well-produced music Mm -hmm. like you know at this point you know nirvana was already putting stuff out that sounded pretty good you know prince had been doing stuff that sounds pretty good but you know, the, the audio quality of going from a tape to a CD was still, like... In its infancy. Yeah, it was just like, well, we don't really know what we can do with hip-hop. We have saw what it could do to rock music and, like, pop music. But what can it what can it do with hip-hop music to not sound like, you know, just basically, like, soulless-style <laughs> music? So Robotic. Yeah, that was one of the big ones that, like, dude, that sound... Like, the bass on that just sounds so good, where it's mm-hmm. like, damn, that sounds really good. And the thing that separates... And I'm glad you started with um, Deep Cover. 
the thing that separates that from past hip hop albums, and I mean, Cypress Hill was kind of already doing this, and like some other underground artists were already doing this as well. But on a mainstream level, like MTV late mm-hmm. night level, <laughs> this was like one of the first where like the bass, it wasn't like a sample from, you know, James Brown or whatever, like just cut and paste into the audio and we're just going to loop it or whatever. No, this was actual live bass and it was mixed well where it actually sounded good when you were rolling around in your car. It sounded good like at your fucking JVC boombox, like this big old fucking sound system that you would have like in your house. Like it sounded appropriate to play like at high volume. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever heard, um, you know who the rapper Tyga is? Yeah. So he has a song where he samples like pretty much the entire beat to this. Does a little bit like things differently with it, but the minute I heard that, I was like, dude, this still sounds so good. Yeah. Like even though you pretty much just ripped off what Dr. Dre had already done, <laughs> like I was like. The fact that you can do that, like, you know, fucking 20 years later and put it out and, like, it still sounds, like, hard as fucking cool. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it, there's something to be said about what was going on this time period. Mm-hmm. So, and it sounded dangerous, too. So it wasn't, like, I, I mean, gangster rap was already a thing, obviously, like, with N.W.A. and Ice-T mm-hmm. and, you know, Too Short and all this shit or whatever. It was already a thing. But to me, like, it, it, it was more cartoony or whatever, right? It was It was more... It was like New Jack City, like yeah, like that's. Also, the rapping was just not there. Like even even though Easy or Easy Ice T was really the like the godfather of what gangster rap was, and I I love Ice T. I think he's like one of the most underrated dudes in like in the music industry. But you know, you listen to like is it Six in the Morning, and it's just like dude, rapping like that, it, it's very like, it almost sounds like nursery school rhymes. Like they're just nothing. Like they don't feel aggressive they don't feel mean and even aggressive music at the time like public enemy which was concurrent during this time like it was like bass how low can you go it just sounded like you were getting like <laughs> talked at or whatever, yeah right and it's just like or krs1 like he calls himself the teacher because he sounds like a school professor or whatever but this sounded both dangerous and cool at the same time absolutely like i mean just listening to this album i listened to it like four times this week like from mm-hmm. start to finish and i was like Dude, there's times on here I forget that that's Snoop Dogg. Like now I now I see Snoop Dogg and like music like Snoop Dogg in, over the last 23 years, and it's like a lot of like Snoop. It's like you know, it's like the the pop Snoop Dogg, but yeah, this yeah. Snoop Dogg is just like the rolling 20 Crips. Snoop yeah, Dogg? I was like, yeah. damn, dude. Like there's the uh, the day the N words took over, and yeah. he does that reggae style rap, and it's like. That's Daz Dillinger. That's Daz? That's Daz Dillinger. Dude, I always thought that was Snoop on that song, dude. No, that's Daz. Oh, my God, dude. Snoop's cousin. <laughs> oh, my God. He, he sounds like just like him. But, <laughs> like, like, I've always thought that was Snoop rapping mm-hmm. on that. That's Daz. Oh, my God, dude. You know who else is on there that I thought was Snoop for a long time, but it was somebody else? Uh-huh. Is I mean, it speaks to the vernacular of like long beach it, or are whatever. you talking about when he's like at the end of, it's only at the end of the song he's like black blank blank to the full. Yeah. yeah that's that, snoop but that whole, oh that's what i thought that's what i mean oh, okay but that's like all the, reggae the, sounding the first verse where it's like oh yeah that's daz oh okay no then never mind i'm not mistaken there i thought that when he when he raps like that that sounds like a dude from like jamaica would rap it like it doesn't sound like the fact that he he has a sound like that silky smooth like mm-hmm. you know s- iconic Snoop rap and then does that one that's like not what you imagine coming from Snoop, that's a like, you know that's the producer going like do it like this. It's gonna trust me. This is gonna it's fucking. Gonna work. <laughs> 
20, 35 years from now, dude, Art and Jacob are going to do a podcast about this, and they're going to point out that you sound like a Jamaican dude on this, <laughs> and they're going to fucking applaud blam, your blam. Jamaican accent. Blam, blam, yeah. Blam to them fall. Yeah. Listen to it. And he does that again on Doggy Style as well. Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. Anyways, all right. You want to get to the, the actual, like, release date and, like, mm-hmm. initial initial reactions? Yeah, so you got to remember that this came in in a time period, again, when Dr. Dre, he's leaving yeah. uh, NWA and Ruthless Records, so there's a lot of heat on him from Easy. Mm-hmm. Easy's dissing him and whatever, because he just lost his cash cow. Like, NWA lost a lot when Ice Cube left due to money issues, because that was the lyricist. Easy even said it in a lot of his rhymes, Ice Cube writes the rhymes that I say. But it was okay, because you still had the DOC there to write rhymes, who was a fantastic rapper at that time. You still had MC Ren, who was almost as good as Ice Cube, just didn't have as much of the charisma or whatever, right? So you were going to be okay, but also you also had the maestro Dr. Dre putting it all together or whatever, right? So you you were going to be okay. And oh yeah, by the way, Dr. Dre is finding all these new artists and whatnot. So you, he was making money for you hand over fist. And while he's doing that, you're paying him peanuts. He gets mad, asks for more money, you know, appropriately, right? Because you're the best producer in the game, right? You're not going to pay the best basketball player on your team uh, a rookie contract, right? You're, you know, thousands of dollars. You, he, he needs to get paid millions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. To keep doing what he's doing, what he's bringing in for you, whatever, right? So he gets he gets mad, he leaves. So there's a lot of venom being spewed at Dr. Dre. Like, you ain't shit. You're not a real rapper. You can't make it without me. You came to me when we wanted to start at NWA. Who are you going to get now? You don't know anything about the business. And so it was a really shaky time. This this could have been the downfall of Dr. Dre. We could He could have, you know, went back and lived in his mom's basement or yeah. whatever, right? But no, he he invested in himself. He knew what he brought to the table, brought over all the artists that he befriended, the DOC, Snoop Dogg, Warren G, Nate Dogg, uh, Jewel, uh, RBX, Corrupt, Daz, all these guys. He he. And by the way, they were all teenagers, right? I think Daz was 16 when he got over to Death Row. Mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg probably being 19 or whatever. Took all these teenagers, this 30-year-old dude took all these teenagers and said, I'm going to make the next great hip-hop album. And you said it a little bit earlier, too, where you said that this wasn't even going to be Dr. Dre's album. This was going to be the DOC's second album. And the DOC, real quick story on that, he actually gets right before this. That's actually a very interesting story. Yeah. Right before the the recording of this album, gets into a car accident because he's high on ecstasy and cocaine. Yeah. Goes through the windshield of his car, severs his vocal cords. So that that scratchy voice that you hear on the $20 pyramid was like, okay, man, okay, man. That's the DOC. He went from being literally the guy with the golden voice that's what he was dubbed by the Source magazine to a guy that sounds like this, can't even, nah, 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 or whatever anymore, right? You know he got pulled over like 20 minutes before that? Oh, and, my God. And the police were like, all right, we're going to let you go with the warning. And then, like, that moment right there could have changed hip-hop forever. Dude. Wow. The fact, like, that is one of those, like, butterfly effects. Wow. It's like the police is like, uh, we're going to let you go. If he doesn't let him go... This album probably never, not not the way it is viewed today. And maybe the DOC is viewed as the next Tupac, to be honest with you. Possibly. Yeah, like. He's one of the most. Or at least the next Ice Cube, you know. True, yeah. Yeah, I put you on that, yeah. But, but, you know, (laughs) that cop lets him go and hip hop has changed forever. It's one of the weirdest, like, 
like butterfly effect moments where it's like we all benefited from it <laughs> we, we benefit well we don't know i mean we live know, in this I reality know. where it's like we love the product that we got you know yeah, but yeah. in some other reality aren't jacob are doing a uh, podcast about the doc is is the doc better than tupac like you know yeah yeah that's another reality that oh, someone man, else that california living. joint california love joint with tupac or with uh, the doc and the dr Dre. yeah <laughs> i mean that could have been what was going on and then you know make make no mistake about it i mean when we did our top rappers of all time or whatever like i didn't put tupac on i mean i didn't put um dr dre on there yeah yeah because i still don't i mean and i i didn't think he was that great of a rapper but then i found out the doc was writing most of his raps for this album to begin with and and on 2001 you know he had a bunch of other rappers help him out jay-z was on there like Mm -hmm. helping him write stuff like and that that's not a knock on him. He's mostly a producer than anything else. I Correct. still view him as like you know one of the all time great hip hop producers. But um, yeah, I mean that's a reality that we'll never know. We'll never know how mm. we feel about that. But um, that one dude, that cop going, hey man, all right, you're good to go. Just drive safe. Like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fucking hip hop changed forever right there. And uh, so this was going to be a posse cut. So that's why his death row on the original C it says Dr. Dre and the Death Row Inmates. It was just going to be a uh, a presentation album, kind of like Dr. Dre presents the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Dr. Dre would probably make some appearances or whatever, you know, yeah. with some interludes and whatnot. But the DOC said, no, you're, you're going to finish what you started in NWA. And this is going to be your introduction album. I'm kind of glad that didn't happen. Cause you remember the firm, mm-hmm. like, wasn't that what kind of what the firm was? Yeah. Like, was Dr. Like, Dre and gets a bunch of like rappers on there. And then it just doesn't like really live up to like what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it wasn't like those are like shitty rappers. Like Nas was in there. And, yeah. Like, like it just didn't live up to like what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Like, and you're right. I mean, you want some familiarity, and that's what Dr. Dre brought over from N.W.A. and Ruthless Records. Like, you know this character. And then also during this time period, Dr. Dre talks about it on uh, Big Boy's Neighborhood, where he said it was. A, he hasn't even listened back to the Chronic since he since it was released. He said he was going through a, I believe it was a divorce. He had got shot in the leg two times because he was living like that gangster lifestyle. Uh, I think he had just gotten arrested for beating up D Barnes. So he said that, like he so he was on probation. He was healing from two gunshot wounds in his leg. So he was in crutches or whatever, like in the studio. So he looks back at this time period as a very rough time period. So he never listens to it back. But Dr. Dre was going through some shit. Him and his best friend pretty much break up. Easy E. He's going through a divorce from Michelle A. He goes to jail for beating up D Barnes. He's also, you know, surviving the gunshots like Tupac and 50 Cent. So it was yeah. kind of a, a make it or break it time period for Dr. Dre at this point. Yeah. You know, I didn't know all that. That's a lot to go through. You know, like, yeah, that's a lot going on. Um, Yeah. I mean, the album comes out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really changed hip hop like overnight. Mm-hmm. Like rarely does something happen that's like pretty much this is the fucking rock that came and killed the dinosaurs. Mm hmm. All the dinosaurs that were left over from like the '80s hip hop era were gone. Pr- pretty much gone. Like th- this is the new shit. This is what's gonna happen. This is Nirvana dropping. Smells like Teen Spirit. This is you know done. '80s glam metal done. Smells like Teen Spirits here. Mm-hmm. All the fucking like you know KRS ones or whatever that were viewed as like like good rappers were done. This is the new shit. Here we yeah. go. And it changed it. It changed MTV. It changed fashion. I do want to spend a, a quick second here on the fashion of it. Just looking at the way he's dressed in that album cover or in the inside gatefold of the album or whatever, where he's just all in black and stuff like that. Like that's pretty iconic, dude. Like the Raiders hats that they were, everybody was rocking. Mm-hmm. And I know NWA was already doing that, but NWA wasn't getting 
airplay on MTV the way this was getting. Because this was a little more commercially accessible. Mm -hmm. This was like, you saw Snoop Dogg, you know, like rocking a a Bruins jersey and like Mm -hmm. the dude's like getting his cornrows on, you know, on, on his stuff, you know, like. But it was the fashion change. All of a sudden, like flannels Flannel. were in. Flannel was the thing, like because Kurt Cobain was doing it, and these dudes were doing it. Mm-hmm. So if you weren't rocking like Dickies pants and a flannel and like fucking your Raiders hat, like you know shit, dude. And it was every man style too. Like you can go to fucking any store and buy the this gear. You don't have to go to a special boutique. You don't have to go to the Sunset Strip get a bunch of fucking studded bracelets and shit that you know like eighties hair metal like would have you do. Or fucking old school, you know, hip hop would do, where you had to have the big dookie braid, dookie chains, or whatever and yeah. shit. Uh, no, like, or you had to have like very specific Adidas track shoots, which is still cool. But this was just like, yo, like this is the working man shit. Yeah, it really was. All of a sudden, like the fa- the fact that the fashion was changed, like it was in Run DMC. I agree. Like Run DMC was like they were. It was almost like a costume. Mm-hmm. Like it was like big old Adidas shoes, big old gold chains. Glasses, like yeah, yeah, it's like. That looked a little more like a costume as opposed to seeing Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre in a music video just like with like that. What's the music video where they're at the cookout and there's like they show some dude and they zoom into his waist belt and he has a gun in there? <laughs> oh, nothing but a G Nothing thing. but a G thing, right? Like that comes out and like that looks like any cookout you would see. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they point out like this dude has a gun, like yeah. there is that element of like this it's is dangerous. not. It's fun, but it's dangerous. Yeah, like we're having a good time, but there's always that element of dangerous like. California is very like much about about <laughs> about that fucking lifestyle. Yeah. And that is the other thing that comes out. California had really not been on the map. Like it kind of had, you know, with NWA and things like that, but not to this degree. Like it was always hip hop, that's New York, dude. Hip hop was like owned all the kings of hip hop were all New York guys. You know, nobody was putting Easy E on that fucking R- Mount Rushmore at that point. This comes out Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre put it on the map and take it over. Mm-hmm. Like, Suge Knight, you know, if he was one thing, he was a fucking, like, intimidating dude that knew how to put his artists out there and be like, you got to respect us. We're fucking here and we're taking over now. And that was, you know, he might have hindered, a, a, you know, some artist's careers and, like, maybe the party ended too soon because of how gangster he was being. But he really, like put it out there and made it feel dangerous and made it like alluring to kids like me, which is like, I grew up in the hood. Like, you know, I saw some hood shit, you know, I had a cousin who was like stabbed to death once. And when I was like in fourth grade and I didn't really understand it, but I kind of understood at the same time because of albums like this, like I understood the hood lifestyle. And it didn't feel like, and and an album that came out concurrently to it was the 36 chambers by Wu-Tang where it felt like you were watching like a movie because there's a bunch of kung fu fucking, you know, in the 70s, you know, uh, kung fu samples and mm-hmm. and you get like that dark gritty like Gotham City feel where it's just like I can't relate to that as a kid growing up like in East Bakersfield in the mm-hmm. hood or whatever, right? This felt like everything like in the nothing but a G thing video, that was East Bakersfield from the low riders, from the cookouts at Jefferson Park. Yeah. Fucking, you know, where you would see fools with fucking straps in their back and shit. Yeah, you're fucking cooking some delicious ribs, but you're also fucking strapped or whatever. Because a little kid like, you know, dancing, doing like the whole thing and then looking at the girl with the big butt. Yeah. Those, that, that was life. Like that wasn't, it was fun and entertaining for MTV. But it was also, yeah, that was Southern California at that time. That and really to, is what California was like. And to a degree, still is like. Still is, yeah. I do think it's become a little bit more like, 
I don't want to say safe because it's definitely not safe. Like, yeah, people are still dying. Gangs are still a thing. You know, look at like Nipsey Hussle. Like, people are still dying in the hip hop industry like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but this was really this is like the wild west of like the hip hop era where like you know real gang violence infiltrating like the hip hop. You know, dudes at the MTV doorstep basically. Like, yeah. but it's real. Like, dudes, dudes are really. Rolling with guns and shit like that. Yeah, I mean, Snoop's a Crip, Suge, a Pyru Blood, mm-hmm. Daz, I think it was from Hoover Crip. I mean, <clears throat> all these guys are affiliated. Warren G, whether they were fucking, you know, selling dope or just affiliated, like these were all like Crips or Bloods at this time. And it does come in a time period too, like where we were just fresh off the LA riots, mm-hmm. where this is important to note too, where NWA and Ice T and Ice Cube and all these West Coast rappers, they were warning you. That this is what was going to happen if you guys didn't get the police brutality in check. Then what happens? The Rodney King incident happens. The the police officers get acquitted, and then the you get the L.A. riots, which I'm sure is the episode down the Let, line. I mean, I think at this point, let's talk about some specific tracks. I mean, I don't want to go too deep into track by track, but there are some like notable things that were. I mean, you bring up the Rodney King trial, and you bring up um, the riots. The riots. Um, I don't know what the politically correct term to say the song <laughs> title. Uh, the, the day, day the N words took over. Yeah, yeah, you know that to me back then, still to this day, is one of the outstanding, well produced tracks. Musically, sounds amazing. Lyrically, still sounds like fresh as hell. Like besides the part where um. Dr. Dre still is a v- VHS player. <laughs> I got a VCR, <laughs> a VHS, in the back of yeah. my car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like besides that, you know, everything else pretty much holds up. <laughs> holds up pretty good. But I mean, it's true. I mean, we're still experiencing police brutality. We're still, you know, there. There's a lot of like, you know, racial tensions um, that are always kind of like, are you ready to rob and mob? You know, like mm-hmm. essays ready to rob and mob. Like it, it, it's, it's just kind of like one of those things that's just like always in the background, especially in like California. Like I always think California is a little bit different than like New York or yeah, like New Atlanta. York. Yeah. Maybe because it's, it's a more spread out large cities than New York where it's everyone's living on top of each other. It's more spread out. And, but yet the, like, the the communities are really strong like like the hip hop community here is really strong i'm sure it's really strong in LA, in new york too but here like everyone it's it feels bigger because it's more spread out Correct, i don't know yeah. like there's a lot of real estate you know from yeah there's a lot more real estate to take over and uh because of that you know it creates division lines you know within like Bloods and Crips or whatever, Lakers, Clippers fans or whatever you want to call it, like you know mm-hmm. wh- whatever it might be, like there is a little bit of a div- division, but both sides are always. It always seems like there's always that tension in California, a- and like the, I don't know, I I don't really know how to explain it, but because there's that tension, there's always there's Match always that hits the hay, yeah, like people are always kind of ready for <clears throat> for it because there's just a tension built. There's a tension between the streets and the police there's you know mm-hmm. a documentary just came out about bakersfield and it's like like 
I feel like that documentary coming out that might have been like the fucking match to just you know because people are just ready like it's it's there like it's not like something well, they're that sick we'd... of it yeah they're sick of yeah and I mean that's a Fred Watt episode waiting to happen but <laughs> this this track specifically you got Bloods and Crips coming together there what during the L.A. riots you had the Bloods and Crips like this is the Hatfields and the McCoys yeah coming together you know during the L.A. riots because uniting behind something that you you were talking about where it's just like we can all relate to the police brutality that's going on and that this bullshit and you get like those samples from KCAL 9 News or whatever where they were documenting you know people on the streets or whatever like you know giving like their opinions on shit like it's so it's it's real as shit it's like one of the realest songs that has ever been you know made and it's yeah. because of that that fact that everybody realized like oh this is some bullshit that you get these two fucking factions that were ready for to basically kill each other for a lifetime, willing to call a truce. And that was temporary and whatnot. But at that time, you know, it was a truce that, like, no, there's no more Bloods and Crips. It's us versus them. Yeah. Um, two things. One, I was a kid when this song first, when I first heard this song. And uh, there's a sample in there where he says, like, we ain't here for that apartheid shit. I used to think he said, that part-time shit <laughs> and i was like damn that guy really does not like working part-time <laughs> so that's that's one thing but um there the, the line that i always wanted to single out was me not out for peace me not rodney king me gun goes click me, me gun, gun goes, goes bang. bang that line right there is just kind of like saying like like fuck all that peace shit like i'm here for fucking like I want what's mine, like mm. basically, like I want my justice, and I'm gonna take my justice the way I like. It's it's a more aggressive thing than like fight the power was, you know. Like yeah. this was this is not even like fight the power was like educate yourself and come back in twenty years and vote <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, was, boy. Yeah, it was like we need to all vote, you know. Like this was not that. If this you was, ain't here for the Africans. Point blank. Yeah, yeah. This was a way more aggressive album, and I gotta admit, like this definitely shaped my mentality. Hearing that shit when I'm like seven, six years old or whatever, and like playing that shit nonstop, it like you know I still see that. I still see that. I see that in that Colin Kaepernick documentary. I, I'm like, damn, that there's still that like aggression, like like that you still see in the streets. And this album was you know fucking mm-hmm. CNN for the hood. Yeah. I mean, and, and, that, and that the riots are, uh, uh, there's like six or seven different narratives throughout that uh, album. Obviously, the day that N-Words took over, like, that's, you know, that is the explicit song about, like, the L.A. riots. Uh, but it pops up, like, you know, an N-Word with a gun, rat-a-tat-tat, lyrical gangbang, high-powered, stranded on death row. Like, it, it's, it's, a, it's uh-huh. a theme that weaves its way throughout the album. And one thing that, like, I want to fucking uh, put out there, too, <clears throat> not to cut off what we're talking about too much yeah no, is this the way that like he he stacks these tracks together when you come into this album you get hit with two tracks right off the bat you know dissing easy e <laughs> yeah dissing fucking uh luke from uh two live crew tim dog and you know all these people that were dissing the west coast at the time this is kind of like the a little bit of the genesis of the east coast west coast beef or whatever tim dog obviously obviously was talking shit about NWA because at this time New York hated West Coast rap. They, for whatever reason, they viewed it as a threat because, like, oh, nobody's fucking Run DMC anymore. And so there was a lot of rappers like Tim Dog that were that would not allow West Coast music be played 
you know, in Brooklyn or anything like that. But when The Chronic came out, there's East Coast cats and journalists that talk about this album saying you couldn't pull up to a stoplight or get into a taxi where nobody wasn't playing it. Like this was all over New York. So it changed that 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 demeanor as well temporarily, you know, where it's just like they put their feelings against the West, West Coast aside or as a nation. Again, this yeah. is an album before the Internet where everybody was rocking this shit. Yeah, dude. If yeah, I mean, that ends with one of the most iconic things of Snoop Dogg going, Easy E, Easy E can eat a big fat dick. Tim Dogg can eat a big fat dick. Like, okay, people singing along to that is just like, there's no going back to Sorry, Easy E. Two like, crew, you're done. Done. Easy E, done. Yeah. Tim Dogg, who? Yeah, like, <laughs> had a career's wicked. over, dude. You yeah. might as well go get a job at Del Taco now, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think he did, and rest like, in peace. Did he die? I don't know. Yeah, he, he died of diabetes. Yeah, so like it was just like career over, dude. Like that was that coming out and everybody fucking bumping that shit. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it was just like how can you not? Like how can you not play this at a party? Mm-hmm. That's that's the ultimate thing for hip hop. It's like are they gonna play your shit at parties? And you cannot go to a cool party and not have this playing. Yeah, because this was like this was it. Um. And then, like, it, he doesn't, sp- and this is where I think, like, he wins, like, this beef with Easy E because he doesn't spend too much time talking shit. Yeah. He, he starts the album and ends the album talking shit. But in between, like, Let Me Ride, like, that's just a car culture song where, you know, like, it, it's it's about him rolling in the 6-4 or whatever. So you don't even By have the to way, <laughs> people think that Jewel's on that song. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the, the Laskin Jewel. Yeah, it's like, that's not Jewel. I just want to point out, it's like. Jewel. Yeah, yeah it's like that's not w- wasn't jewel like a folk? who will save your soul yeah i was like that's not i, I actually listened to a podcast where they were like the, and then the next song has jewel on it and i was like dude that's not jewel <laughs> <laughs> what did you even listen to the song where do you oh, think man. jewel comes out yeah no that is not that jewel no. yeah uh but yeah let me ride all about the car culture yeah uh one podcast i listened to they brought this um how dr Dre constructs a beat it's not. You mentioned this earlier. It's not like you know the Bomb Squad or RZA or you know producers you know from the '80s and early '90s where they would just stack samples on top of samples. Dre would take a sample, and a perfect example of this would be like nothing but a G thing, where it samples Leon Haywood's um, "I Want to Do Something Freaky to You," and you can hear like elements of uh, nothing but a G thing in there. But Dr. Dre not only takes the sample but then reconstructs that sample by having actual musicians come in and he makes it his own where he's just like, you know what? This bass could be better if you played this note instead of this note. Uh, he mixes it into into effect where it's just like, it's not going to be a prominent part of the song. It's just going to play the background where it's going to add where this might've been a drum line, but it's going to be a mid sound that's going to add something to it. And there's, you know, all sorts of sounds that pop up, whether you have like a good set of headphones on, where it's like, again, 30 years later, I'm still finding in the song where it's just like there's like 16 or 17 different things that are happening that add like this beautiful texture. And that's like what separates Dr. Dre's production from, you know, a regular, you know, hip hop producer at this time's production where it actually gives it actual musical legitimacy. And the podcast that I was listening to said it's kind of like a custom car 
where you take like a 1964 Chevrolet Impala that came from GMC, right? It's this, you know, family vehicle. And you turn into this gangster lowrider where you take certain things off, you chrome something out or you gold plate it or you replace the seats with, you know, velvet seats or you put, you know, Dayton rims as opposed to those old, old school 1960 hubcaps on it or whatever. And you take something classic and you make it even better. And Dr. Dre is actually famous for making beats and testing them out in his car before he actually releases them. So Let Me Ride is kind of like a perfect example of how this whole album was made. It's it's a very much California car culture album and song. Um, do you remember, and I'm glad you bring that up, because prior to this, like car, car anthems, like they they had been out like that. Like, we like the cars, the cars to go boom. Is it Le, Le Trim or whatever? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, but even that song, it even starts with like like that intro where like those two girls are talking and it's like, you know the ones? And then they play like a, a boom sample. Like, mm. boom. But it sounds all shitty. Like the sound quality was just not Bad. good. And part of it was like the technology that they were limited to. And the other part was just nobody was being that inventive. And it was kind of already out, like Princess Purple Rain, which we know we reference a lot. I reference a lot, a lot in this episode already. But that came out in like '84, and like they're just really like he ha- he was already like miles ahead as far as like in the pop world, hip hop world was like decades behind technology wise. Like nobody was doing anything inventive, mm-hmm. and like this when you hear that song, like that you could still fucking bump that shit. Like mm-hmm. that sounds so good today, mm-hmm. like. And like, you know, just to, to to take a quick note here, these this album like from start to finish, for the most part, there's little moments where like that, like you know, they do a lot of that. Like I get it. There's like a lot of that synth vibe that happens in this album, which I love, and, and, and it's I still love it. And I think I think it sounds cool. Like maybe that's the only part of the album that maybe just didn't age 100 percent of the way, but still sounds like dope. Like mm-hmm. to this album, like. Not everything like Queen obviously isn't gonna sound like, but Queen is still amazing for what they did. You know, right, like yeah. it's 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 that's the era they were in. But for the most part, this still sounds so fresh. The flow is so good. And then you listen to a dude like Drake's first album that came out like not even that long ago, like nine ten years ago, and it's like, dude, that does that shit sounds dated as fuck. Yeah. Like that sounds very two thousand nine, bro. Like yeah, <laughs> like and this still sounds like this is fucking like 20 years older than that 30 yeah (laughs) and like and this still sounds way better and there's not to me i don't think there's a bad track on here like even the skits i know like some podcasts that i listen to kind of gave it shit for the skits but i still laugh at the 20 dollar sack pyramid i still laugh at the doctor's office like even those like little things like it was like we got to get rid of all the the pimps and prostitutes and start all over again clean (laughs) you crazy oh i still love that dude yeah and like I think this should be played at high, high volume. volume. Yeah, like oh Preferably my god, in a dude. residential area. Oh my god, dude! It, it, it's and then you know what? I know that he didn't invent like the interludes and all that stuff, but he definitely perfected it. Like mm-hmm. people were doing that. Nothing to this level. Like this rappers still do that. Like that was the blueprint. Like you know, Doggy Style comes out and has more of those samples. Like 
everyone's still doing that like and like it goes back to my point where it's like he stacked the album so perfectly where you start off with two diss tracks basically to your your opponents at this time you you bring everyone back with you know like hey here's let me ride which is a car culture song it, it's california written all over it's david it's david lee ross california girls if you will uh the day the n-words took over very you know it, in the moment in the time like this is a culturally yeah. significant song then brings it everything back down with nothing but a g thing which is a total like the ultimate vibe song yeah. and i've been out there i've said it it's probably the best hip song hip-hop song of all time it's the most like california driving through la like you can't drive through la and not, not listen to yeah. nothing but a g thing like it's that like th- this is the california anthem yeah. nothing but a g all these years later maybe california love is which is like, also a dr dre song yeah, yeah. It's like california love is probably the only other one that rivals that and maybe next episode from like 2001 scroll <laughs> also, also a doctor but those three songs california love nothing but a g's thing g thing and next episode like those three songs are probably the most california like still dre yeah too yeah <laughs> um but then d's nuts like again, you talked about like the skits. Yeah. Like that's still being referenced today. Like that's still on TikTok and whatnot. And that beat right there, that D's nuts beat, I've gone on record many times and said this. Like that is one of the most complex and beautiful beats of all time. Like when after Nate Dog gets done, you know, doing his thing at the end and Dre just lets the beat ride. Like I said, there's like 19, 20 different things going on and they're all perfectly placed. There's like three or four different like drum loops going on, all sorts of bass lines coming in and out. And it's like, it's like a thing of beauty. It's like a fucking that, sympathy, a symphony of fucking gangster rap. Right that, there. That's exactly it. The fact that he's, he's so musically inclined on this and then to go from a song, these nuts to go to little ghetto boy Fuck yeah. and little ghetto boy has a sample in it but then he has an actual live flutist come mm-hmm. on the, come on that song and just like ride the flute throughout the song and like it sounds so beautiful mm-hmm. like to this day you can really you, actually is there an instrumental version of this entire album that like i have n- yeah. non-fan made or is it like an actual and it's kind of fan made because there's uh, not like a legit he, studio one yeah now that death rose all over this shit i don't know if that'll ever come out but i would love to hear like a high quality sound non-fan made version of like mm-hmm. the masters of, of these um that would be dope as hell because little ghetto boy is like one of the you know it's not one that people spend a lot of time on but it's one of the more thoughtful songs on the album exactly and the reason why this only got four and a half mics out of five from the source is because the source didn't like this song but to me like this is like one of the fucking staples of this album because again it brings it back down after you get like this high-powered song with these nuts you got to bring everything back down to reality and it's like the realities of the gangster life. Like it's all about like, you know, what happens when you live a gangster lifestyle, your ass goes to jail. Yeah. $20 sack. <laughs> 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 Fucking classic. I mean, they're just fun songs, dude. Like yeah. I can't even knock them. And then there's one, two, I mean, there's other songs on here too, where it's just like, um, Oh, lyrical gangbang. Yeah. Like where he's like, okay, these are going to be the showcase songs, like lyrical gangbang, high powered, uh, Stranded on Death Row. Stranded on Death Row is like one of the... I mean, I don't even think Dr. Dre makes an appearance on this song, but mm-hmm. you got the Lady of Rage, RBX, who's like one of the most unsung heroes on the album. Yeah. I think whenever he raps on this album, he he challenges Snoop for like being star of the fucking show. I think Snoop, you know, because of the charisma and the personality, that's how he gets over to the superstar standard. But it's a shame that RBX never like experienced like 
even like a half of that superstar because his lines in this album are fucking classic. You know, I've dropped bombs like Hiroshima. You know, uh, it's funny you say that because apparently um, Dr. Dre is such a like, like super anal about his like production style that people complain that he would find these artists that were like, dude, this is a, you got to do something with this guy. And then he'd be like, all right. And then he would just let him sit on the shelf and like nothing. You, you remember that rapper Eve? Yeah, yeah, Apparently, yeah. like, that was his, like, artist for a while. Like, it was like, all right, Eve, we're going to do an album. We're going to do an album. And it just never happened. And she eventually said, like, fuck this. I'm going to go to Rough Riders. <laughs> and, like, then she became popular. But, like, apparently that was a thing with Dr. Dre where he would just let dudes sit on the shelf and he would just be not satisfied with it. And which, you know, you can't blame him. Like, every, well, not everything, but most of what he's put out all his iconic albums are truly iconic. Like 2001, mm-hmm. I mean, that could be its own episode too because that is super lush. Like mm-hmm. the samples are amazing. Like the instrumentation is amazing. Like, and it keeps getting better the more you listen to it yeah, as well. And you and find some loser named Eminem on that album. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, Eminem. Eminem like literally went from like, you thought me finding Snoop Dogg was cool? Check out Eminem. And it's like, mm-hmm. fuck, that's like one of the greatest rappers of all time. Mm-hmm. But you know, where this album stands in hip-hop culture to this day, I mean, it might mean more to us because we live in California, and, like, this is kind of, like, one of those anthems. Like, this is, you know, go to Galaxy Games. Like, this is what they play at the halftime. Nothing but a G thing. That's what, like, the um, the L.A. Riot Squad sings, like, you know, because, like, the Gs are the Galaxy fans. They call mm-hmm. themselves the Gs. So, like, nothing but a G thing. That's, you know, Gs up, hose down. Like, even the... LA Galaxy have adopted the G's up line. They don't say the second part, but, <laughs> but but G's up is something that like you know is printed on LA Galaxy stuff. That's originating from this like album. Like Correct. it's a, something that still lives very strongly in California culture and like LA culture. And, and like, it's authentic to to the people because I when outsiders when I think they think of California they think of beaches they think of like what what's presented in movies like with palm trees and that there, there is, is that there, there is, is that. that. Like you go down yeah. the 178 right now, when you go get to the east side, you can't look, you know, two more than two seconds without seeing palm trees and, and shit. But there's there's shit that lives yeah, on the still forest Compton floor. And Watts. <laughs> like, yeah, that's <laughs> and this is like the realest shit at this time. Like even above NWA, because NWA, it, it was kind of like them perfecting the craft or whatever. Yeah, it hit and it was culturally important and all that shit, but there was an element of cartooniness to it because of Easy e or whatever, right? Like he was a cartoon character, but this was real. You know, like you said, you mentioned the, you know, the barbecue that happened like a nothing but a G thing or whatever. It's like that's 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 probably going down down the street from my house right now on yeah, a Sunday afternoon that, or whatever. That shit still happens, dude. Like that's not something that if you watch that music video, that's not that far fetched. Mm-hmm. Like there's cookouts, there's like Girls getting 40s Girl, dumped on them and shit. Yeah, like, you know, maybe that was a little pre-Me Too movement or whatever, <laughs> but, like, you know, some of those videos may not hold up. There's, like, that thing where, like, that guy takes that bra off that girl or whatever. Oh, yeah. But, like, you know, like, for the most part, like, that is pretty much, like, very hood. That's very, like, the hood mentality still to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think I think as far as how it's held up musically and where it stands musically, like, production, like, you only have to look back at last year's Super Bowl to to see where it stands in in, in the hip hop like, you know, like Mount Rushmore or whatever. Like, yeah. it, it pretty much every album that like 
put Dr. Dre on the map was highlighted on that. You know, here's Dr. Dre starting it off with like one of his California iconic songs, playing it in the Ram Stadium. And in Englewood, California. In Englewood, California. By the way, here comes Snoop Dogg. By the way, here comes Eminem. By the way, here comes Kendrick Lamar. By the way, here comes 50 Cent. Here come all of my protégés like, mm-hmm. that are still influencing music to this day. Probably Kendrick more than anyone because he's the youngest of all those guys. But mm-hmm. like, it still like is very much like a thing that like you know you trace the the roots back of where where music hip hop music is California hip hop music. Nipsey Hussle is another dude that like didn't have a lot of direct stuff to to Dr. Dre, but his sound was very much like could have easily fit into this album. Like mm-hmm. it's not something that was like he was trying to sound like Drake. Like <laughs> yeah, like like that shit is still like. Drake is kind of controversial because it's like I think kids like it. Like ki- Dr. Dre is definitely like, like fucking like RC Cola or whatever. You know, it's like that gets like, kids like it or whatever. Like, but this is most. This is like fucking hard liquor right here. Like yeah, this yeah. is like the shit you drink at when like you're old enough to like know what you're you're doing. Like this is hard liquor. You're gonna have fun, but this shit's gonna fuck you up too. It's top shelf shit too. The shit yeah. you only bust out like on this Christmas. This is this is. This is Hennessy and not regular Hennessy. This is that shit that Nas advertises for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing too, like you mentioned, like you know that the the legacy of this album. Yeah. Like to me, like when I think of this album, yeah, Dr. Dre wasn't a real gangster or whatever, right? But yeah. Whatever, right? He's a product of you know Compton. One thing too is about the politics of this album. Obviously, Dr. Dre leaves Death Row because it, it spirals out of control. You know, the gangster shit can only sustain itself so long within the business industry, right? So he leaves Death Row. Suge Knight pulls an Easy E on Dr. Dre. He takes the masters for the Chronic, so therefore he owns you know the Chronic or whatever, right? So I got in front of me right here the the original 1992 cut of this album, which is perfect. Like the sound quality, you can't really do much more to this album to make it any better. It's perfect as it is. In 2001, to combat Dr. Dre's 2001 that's out or whatever, like, hey, the Chronic was in the past, now it's the Chronic 2001. Suge Knight re-releases the Chronic again, and it says <laughs> remaster all over it and whatnot, and the remaster of it sounds horrible. And that's the one you hear like on Apple Music and shit mm-hmm. because it's the most recent version and it has remastered on it. But it sounds fucking horrible. You can hear like the the tape stopping and whatnot. You can So I will say, I don't know if like I think I texted you earlier this week, like, hey dude, the chronic's not on here. And literally as of like two days ago, it's back up. Mm-hmm. And it does sound good. I'll say that. Like, I don't know if I know that Snoop Dogg owns the the Death Row stuff now, mm-hmm. but um, I will give him props that that's uh, that does sound pretty good. Whatever yeah. they re- like, literally as if like two days ago re released. Yeah, the lossless quality, but they took a lot from this album, the re released album mm-hmm. on it, and on Stranded on Death Row, Snoop he does this thing, and I didn't know about it until a couple of days ago either when I was listening to. Uh, you know, uh, another podcast talk about this. And there was a lady, she was talking about how she grew up in Crip neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And that line where Snoop Dogg says like, I'm not flagging, but I'm just sagging. I bet you don't want to see that. I guess that's like a Crip anthem, mm-hmm. like a Crip chorus. I mean, he changed the lyrics and whatnot or whatever, but that's a Crip anthem, right? And to tie that into what I was talking about, when Suge Knight gets death row, obviously Snoop Dogg leaves death row and all these people leave and whatnot because of Suge Knight or whatever that truce between the Bloods and the Crips kind of ends, and then it becomes Crip versus Blood again and whatnot. Suge Knight 
you know, goes to jail for trying to hunt down Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg on the set of fucking Straight Outta Compton and all that shit. When this gets re-released, that line on there, it sounds fuck. It's fucked up. Like the audio gets fucked up. And when I was listening to the CD when I first bought it, I was like, man, why did why does it sound fucking muffled? Did I fuck up the CD? Did I scratch the CD here somewhere? Mm-hmm. And I also own the fucking uh, vinyl, mm-hmm. and it does the same thing. And I was like, what the fuck? It wasn't until I got the I was listening to this podcast, and the lady was saying like, oh, when Suge Knight was pretty much the only star of Death Row during that two thousand one two thousand two period or whatnot. He took the masters of all all the original Death Row stuff, tried to remaster it and whatnot, did a kind of a shitty job on it. And that specific part, like that Crip Anthem part that mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg does, he put a line through it. Kind of like when you do like tagging. Like when you see tagging and you see someone put a line through it, mm-hmm. kind of put like a line in the audio quality so it gets distorted, right, where Snoop is doing like that Crip thing. And I was like, in a way, that's, that. I mean, that is fucked up, but in a way... That is some of the most gangster ass shit because it goes right back to you walk right outside my house right now. You go to fucking, you know, 7-Eleven. You'll see some tagging and someone crosses it out and shit. And that's yeah. exactly what Suge Knight did to Snoop on here. Damn, dude. that I did not know that. I don't know if that's the version I own. That's the, let me let me actually go to my Discogs here and see which version I own. But I, I haven't, I've, I own that album and I've never listened to it on vinyl. Mm-hmm. It's still just like wrapped up in, Cellophane. Cellophane, yeah. Let me just look up which version I have. Does that one does that one come with a with a clear vinyl? Yeah, mine has a clear vinyl. Let me see which one I have, because uh I'm pretty interested in that shit now. Um, by the way, I own a lot of Deftones albums. <laughs> Here we go. Mine says that it's a 2001 re-release. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. I gotta look at it's it. Probably that one then, right there. Yeah, it's probably gonna be the the chronic or the uh, the chronic, the, the death row version or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. As far as where this thing stands in music, where would you rank this? As far as obviously, you put it up pretty high on your music list. It made both of our top 20s mm-hmm. albums of all time. It's hard to say because, I mean, my, my list always changes. Sometimes Purple Rain is my favorite album of all time. Sometimes Doggy Style is my favorite album. Sometimes Appetite for Destruction. So. Let me ask you the question. This album versus Doggy Style, because apparently that's a bigger argument. To me, it's never been an argument just because I hold this album much higher in much higher regards. I didn't even own Doggy Style until like, I was in like high school. <laughs> so like this album to me has always been like it, but... It's hard to say because I, I look at them as like brother twin brother albums because it's the same production, same cast of characters, everything. Yeah. It's like it's like The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2, you know? It's Daz, some, Daz did say that he thinks that Doggy Style is better because well, this was them per, like getting, per, you know, doing their shit and then they perfected the sound on Doggy Style. Mm-hmm. Which so. is, which is I mean, like, you can't lie. I mean, they did perfect it more on Doggy Style, but this one's raw and... Like I said with Dre at that time, going through a divorce, leaving, you know, ruthless, basically leaving his best friend, you know, having to teach all these teenagers how to be fucking superstars or whatever. He's putting his heart and soul into this album. Yeah. And you can, it definitely bleeds over into the audio quality. Like there's, there's a strut, like there's nothing better to hear than an artist struggling. Cause that's when they put out their best work and whatever, when they're happy, it's always like, Oh, when they're millionaires, it's like, Oh, who gives a fuck anymore? There's right? all those shitty corn albums. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you can actually hear the struggle. Like, you know, here with Dr. Dre, 
and it's it's beautiful. It sucks for him at the time, but it's it's beautiful to hear. So, I mean, it's it's one of those arguments when people say, "Is it Doggy Style or the Chronic?" And I'm like, "Why do I have to pick? I have both. I can I can choose yeah. both." And in my mind, it's Eiffel Four Zagan, the Chronic, and Doggy Style <laughs> live together in one yeah. big three pack, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't really touch on uh, G Funk that much, but. G Funk became the sound from like the the release of this album. Like all of a sudden, everybody was doing their version of G Funk, mm-hmm. and it was like that for years and years and years. You know, until Puff Daddy came out and started doing his like shitty like version <laughs> of sampling. One of the things that always bothered me about Puff Daddy, I don't think Puff Daddy was bad at making songs, but that dude like literally would take samples and just do nothing with them. It's like, here's fucking. <laughs> David Bowie, but I slowed it down like a little bit, and it's like okay, that's not that's the exact same song, dude. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know, but and then everyone started doing that until fucking Kanye West. But this was like everybody trying to become like the best musicians they could be, mm. and I think it was a it was an era in hip hop music where everyone was trying to outdo each other in this G funk sound. I think it was a very like interesting. It felt like everybody was like trying to like out gangster each other, and which I think, you know, that friction. Like I was talking about, like the Clippers and Lakers or whatever. Like whenever Bloods and Crips, whatever it may be, like that friction always kind of creates something like a little more like passionate, I guess. And I think because there was so much friction, you had so many great artists coming out. Like mm-hmm. you know, we talked about Doggy Style, but Doggy Style was just you know, you know. Warren G would put out his album and that shit was classic too. Like everybody was putting out classic album after classic album. Like it's, it's, this is definitely to me, this is the top of the pyramid in those classic albums. But you know, there were a ton of like, you know, dudes that were putting out some of their best work at that time period. And even people like Madonna who were already at the top of their game. Like when she puts out, I think the song's called human nature. Mm. That's a G funk song right there. Like, I mean, it, it, it that's how influential that sound was mm-hmm. is like people so high out of the stratosphere like a madonna even prince mm-hmm. prince is notorious for not trying to be like anybody else and he had even had songs that sounded like g-funk mm-hmm. you know and so that's how that's how when you talk about the magnitude of this album that's how far it reached. Well, even like early new metal, dude. Like even like early like corn songs. You're right. Like they kind of had like a G funk vibe to them. You, like when they do their version of Wicked, mm-hmm. like that sounds straight up G funk, dude. Like You're right. that's very G funk. Like everybody was trying to do their version of G funk during that time period, and like it, it, it. I think you know kids that probably had no idea who this was, but then did listen to corn were probably influenced by this and didn't even know they were influenced by this. Like That's right. it's one of those things that like it's it's ongoing. Like the the fucking the ripple effect of fucking of DOC not getting pulled over <laughs> or not going to jail that night is like wow. Insane, dude. The butterfly effect is insane on this. That's one of those things to ponder, man. Like if if we ever have a Doctor Strange event, like I want to go back to that time period where fucking the <laughs> <laughs> where fucking, Uber exists and he just goes home safe that night? No, maybe fucking <laughs> the DOC is, he's he is Rodney King. <laughs> what if there's a Rodney King on oh, the DOC true. or whatever, right? Yeah. And he doesn't get into that car accident or whatever, right? Maybe he puts out an even better album because he's pissed off. That's what I mean. Like, you know, you know, just somebody's driving by. He's like, DOC, I'll take you home. And it's like, all right. So they take him home. Mm-hmm. He goes home, gets a full night's rest. And it's like, you know what? 
I am going to do this album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You never know. Shout out to the DOC. No one can do it better. So I'm going to ask you this tough question. What's your favorite track off this album? Ooh, that's, that is a very tough one. Um, It's very, um, it's very, I guess, un... I don't know how to. I don't know what I'm, I don't know what word I'm looking for, um, but I guess nothing but a G thing is probably my mm-hmm. favorite song on this album. I would say uh, the day the N words took over is also like right there. Actually, the, those two songs back to back to me mm-hmm. is like my. It's hard to say, dude, because I'm looking at it and I'm working my way backwards, and I'm like, "Well, let me ride." It's also there, you, and I'm like, "I'm like, can I just listen to the whole?" I like listening to albums from start to finish, and that's another thing. Before I keep going down this path. This is a start-to-finish album. This is a start-to-finish album. We talked about Pink Floyd not that long ago. Like, there's albums. I like albums that force you to listen to from start to finish because some of these songs kind of blend together and, like, mm-hmm. one song leads to the next. And, like, I I think that that's one of the faults of listening to a Drake album. Not to always be picking on Drake, but Drake makes a lot of singles. That's basically all he does is make one song after one song after one song. And it doesn't really matter what order you listen to it. It doesn't matter what album you listen. You can just make a Drake playlist, and, and that's there the you beauty go. of this album because it's so it's layered so perfectly. Like where it's like going to a concert, like you have your ups, your down, your highs, your lows, and it's just yeah. like it takes you through a cornucopia of emotions. And you're absolutely right. Like you can start with nothing but a G thing, but then it, you you got to work your way back. But then you also got to start at the intro. You know yeah. that, that intro song. That beat is probably the, one of the best beats on the album, and it's not even for a song. It's just for an intro. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would still say uh, nothing but a G thing, though, for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's like D's nuts, but then, too, again, like going back to, to Dre Day, like that, the way that song ends, it's almost like an opera. You yeah. know, just like like I mentioned, like you got like the high, like, up here, mm-hmm. but then you also got that bump. Bum, bum, bum. and then you got like all that stuff in between like the george clinton samples and all these like hi-hats and all sorts of fucking different drum beats and just little things going on and also you got jewel jewel that beautiful remember. voice like jewel not yeah. that who will save your soul it, but like what's what's sa- what is he sampling on let me ride where he's like like there's like it's a it, parliament um, it's a parliament uh swing down sweet yeah. chariot stop it's a uh, mothership connection oh dude that's such a good sample because it, yeah. it ends like it's the ultimate crescendo to that song and it is a song of all the singles that's the probably the single that the gets live, most overlooked and it's the live version of it it's not even the fucking um the studio version yeah. he samples the live version of it. it yeah it's a very well put together song and it's just like even the songs that like like these nuts like that i mean that's so iconic like it sounds dumb to say out loud but it's so iconic and there's little funny moments too that are like they're they're funny if you know them kind of thing mm-hmm. like the day that n-words took over I, I look there's a site that like who sampled it and like yeah. it lists like all these soul samples or whatever like for every song that you could ever want to know about who sampled what and i looked up the day the n-words uh took over and it even went over their heads but you know that song that dream weaver okay yeah the way that song starts is very spacey and like very weird i'll play it before you like before we uh you uh, leave out the door or whatever but like that spacey sound at the beginning of that song like some old grandpa rock song dre uses that for like the creepiness of that song as well as that black sabbath um 
the devil triad for the bass that um doom, 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 like that, that yeah. creepy that's why you get that creepy feeling because you have all these dissonant sounds and i think it's hilarious that he sampled like some grandpa rock uh-huh. to make one of the scariest hip-hop songs of all time yeah i mean even to his 2001 he does a lot less sampling but the sampling he does is like very iconic like sampling everything from the halloween soundtrack yeah to um that one like <laughs> like 1940s like the next episode doom, doom, yeah like that like that like big band sound or whatever mm-hmm. like yeah i mean it's it's pretty iconic even on doggy style um that one sample of going like six million ways to die like choose one yeah, like that i remember i was listening to a death grips album and they sampled not not the original sample but that sample and they put that into their song and i'm like dude this is so fucking dope that they're like sampling a snoop dogg song and a pink floyd song back to back to each other and it's like even that, like, like we always do about this time, I think that's from, like, a Black Panther rally. Oh, really? Yeah, that's not even, like, a song. Like, that's, like, he sampled a Black Panther rally. Yeah, that's, I mean, sampling is one of those things that it's kind of, I don't want to say it's a lost art because people still do it, but people do it very uninspiringly. Like, people do it more in the way that, that Puff Daddy would do it, where he's like, let me just sample an entire song and, like, yeah. not do anything original with it. This is, like, it's pretty unrecognizable sometimes, the way he mm-hmm. samples things, but... Anyways, man, great album. Go listen to it. If you have not listened to this album, do it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a 10 out of 10. Oh, classic. All the way. It's, like I said, it, it fights for the number one spot. <clears throat> and dare I say, it could be considered the best hip-hop album of all time. I know some people put Illmatic there. Some people put Ready to Die or 36 Chambers. And those are arguments, you know, based on opinion. But production-wise, I feel like there's no argument there. It's either you're talking about The Chronic or The Doggy Style, and those are the only two albums. I don't even want to entertain anything else. Like, get the fuck out of here with your fucking... I, I, I hate to be blasphemous here, but get the hair, get the fuck out of here with your DJ Premiere or fucking RZA shit because all they're doing is just stacking samples. He's sampling, and he's actually bringing an orchestra in to arrange this shit. So, to me, yeah. it's not an argument. As far as... Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that this has the best lyrics on it. I mean, no. people are going to always rank hip hop albums different ways, like best lyricists or whatever. Like, obviously, this isn't going to be no. there with like a Nas. But as far as best production, like, yeah, I mean, as you said that, I'm trying to think of like better produced albums. You know, I, I think 2001 is better produced than this, but he had like technology and years <laughs> to, to he like. He had a couple more million dollars to yeah, play like, with. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you have to go to another Dr. Dre. And then like, probably. A, a like a, to pimp a butterfly would probably be like the next thing was like wow dude that's like really like you know it's not even I wouldn't call it experimental hip hop because there's been other experimental hip hop albums but the fact that he took something like that but it, even even to him it's like a dude that you know he still had kind of the Dr. Dre behind his ears telling him like executive producer you should that do album. something like this how about this like Dr. Dre it's still the roots go back to Dr. Dre it's like yeah, all he's like Rome all roads all roads lead to Dre yeah. <laughs> yeah so I mean yeah I mean it's, I would I would agree with you there as far as like best pro- and you I know there's a lot of Kanye West heads or whatever but even Kanye West for the most part like his albums don't really like come together the way this a lot of it is just like good song after good song after good song after good song done end of the album kind of thing and then ends it with like maybe the longest song or whatever and he even said that too he said it in Rolling Stone while he was taking his medication uh, <laughs> when they did the 500 greatest albums he said every artist every real producer is chasing the chronic it's their Stevie Wonders in the key of life yeah and that's me giving props to Kanye right there so uh, but anyways um, 
excellent episode. Happy episode 300. Hopefully we do three more, 300 more three, of these. Three more. <laughs> Just three more, guys. We only got three more in the tank. 300 more. Shit. Yeah. Like the way that list is looking, it might be a thousand more. Who knows? Uh, but with that said, Art, do you got anything else? No, that's it. Tame on Booze. Shout out to Elizabeth Jackman. Shout out to Elizabeth Warren. And with that said, guys, if you want to share your thoughts on the chronic or if you want to debate us, uh, fucking come at us. Come come at me, dog. Uh, or if you just want to have a friendly conversation, hit us up on all the social medias at Art and Jacob Do America, except for Twitter. We are at Art and Jacob Do A1. Because, goddamn, son, that's just how a steak is. You already son. know Jesus is going to be like, what about logic? <laughs> okay. Logic is, is better, dude. Yeah. Uh, episode 30. <laughs> logic. <laughs> Words are hard podcast. They should do an episode where they do something like this, but with a Logic album. Oh, I can see it. And yeah. be like, it's pretty influential, dude. Like, there's like white kids in the suburbs love this shit. <laughs> <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> and us. <laughs> All right. Anyways, uh, if you want to help support this podcast, I highly recommend heading on over to the Patreon over at patreon.com slash America, where nine times out of ten, uh, we put together a better episode than you're actually hearing today. Or free. So head on over to the Patreon, subscribe, get a bonus episode every single week. Uh, if you want to help support us in any other way, guys, I highly recommend heading on over to the official website at rnjacobdoamerica.com. Uh, we have four designs up there. One of them is actually inspired by the chronic. It's the zigzag man <laughs> holding a yeah, pack of true. Arn Jacob Do America zigzags or whatever. So head on over there, support us there. Uh, it's not so much to help us monetarily as we probably see 10, 15 cents out of every t-shirt or sweatshirt purchase over there uh, but it does help get the good word out of our podcast so if you're out in the world uh you're at a backyard barbecue someone's putting a delicious rack of ribs on the barbecue with a gun in the back pocket and your little three-year-old's checking out a big booty girl heading back over uh have an art and jacob do america t-shirt let's everybody know at that party that you are fucking with art and jacob day i was trying to yeah, I, I see what you did there. Don't worry. I, I, I believe you do. It's a great day, and everyone's having a good time. Uh, head on over there. Uh, buy a shirt. Help support us that way because you are a walking billboard, if you will. Uh, if you want to hear other great podcasts, guys, I highly recommend hanging on over to podbelly.com. Uh, check out our buddies over at the world-famous self. I was about to say <laughs> the world-famous Words Are Hard podcast. Words Are Hard. Uh, our buddies over at uh, the world-famous Sofa King podcast as well as Hillbilly Horror Stories. I guess that the host of that um, that nice. podcast, uh, he had a heart problem or a oh, heart attack shit. or something like that. So there's a GoFundMe over at uh, the Arn Jacob Do America group. If you want to help support him, um, go do that. I don't think he lives in the great state of California where we have uh, uh, Medi-Cal. Hillbilly Horror Stories? Yeah, so going over there, help support him. Oh, my God. And as well as Robots Fried. But with that said, guys, my voice is leaving me, and I got to go to my three-year-old. Or my two. He's still two years old. He's not three. Oh, when's his birthday? I thought it was today. It's officially tomorrow, but we're celebrating oh, today because tomorrow we're going to Universal Studios. So yeah. uh, with that said, guys, goodbye. Good night. That particular record, man, that's like that's like I would say the toughest record that I recorded in my career because you know it, it was right after my separation with um, with Ruthless, mm -hmm. and um, I was in survival mode. And you know, going from that to the organization that I went to, you know, and all all the things that were happening during in the studio during the making, it was crazy. You know, um, during that during that process, my house burned down. Damn. I was shot in the legs, damn, you know what I mean? Damn. And um, I was in the studio on crutches for, for a couple of weeks, you know? So it was a lot that went into that record. I, it was blood, sweat, and beers that went into it, All you right. know what I mean? And um, so that's one of those records that 
I don't even listen to anymore. Really? Yeah. I have really? I have Is it emotional? Do you listen like why why you know, not? I just don't I just don't really like being taken back to the to the to that like that nana, it's like this. Then who gives a fuck about those? So just chill to the next episode.